pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Hey folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. I'm your host, Mike White. On this episode, I'm talking with our old friend, Ed Solomon, talking to him about his new miniseries, Full Circle, which he created with Steven Soderbergh, as well as his new podcast, Word by Word. It is always a pleasure talking with Ed. I hope you have as much fun listening as I did talking with him. You're joining the ranks of the podcasters now. How is that? Are you talking about Word by Word? Yes. It's been fascinating. Right now, it's just a live Zoom webinar, but we are editing them into podcasts because they've been so interesting. We've gotten so many people that would either like to re-listen or people who didn't get a chance to watch it when it was live. I wasn't even sure I could do it. I had this idea. I tweeted it out. I was like, hey, if I put together during the strike a series of talks about process, would anyone show up? A lot of people said yes. And suddenly I thought, oh no, now I might have to do this. Who am I to try to teach anything? The format really helped me out because what we do is we do for the first hour, it's me and like usually two or three other writers. Although we had one-on-one with Neil Gaiman last week, the first hour casual conversation, that's easy. Just have conversations. And I'm asking people whose work I just really admire questions about their process, which is really interesting. In the second half, we take questions from people who are watching. It's actually ended up being really fun to do, something I've become really excited about. Um, Right now, we're every Thursday. We were going two to four West Coast, five to seven East Coast. But next week, we're doing earlier because we're doing two two writers sharon horgan who's a writer actress and lucy preble who are both in the uk and i'll actually be in the uk as well so we're going to do it a couple hours earlier it must be nice connecting with other people that do your same job it is there aren't a lot of upsides to a strike a lot of people get hurt we all make a lot of sacrifices (laughs) one rarely recoup what they lose personally during a strike time, you're striking for the people coming after you, really. The people who struck in 1960 for residuals gave up all their own residuals up till that moment for the right for people coming after them to have the residuals. And that's the tradition of this. But a lot of people are hurting. And one of the small upsides of the strike is you out on the picket line and you talk to other writers, which you never get to do. I don't remember who was during a strike. It might have been. I remember decades ago, Phil Robinson decided to put together a group of screenwriters to just meet and talk at his house. And sometimes as many as 40 or 50 people would come. And I hadn't really met a lot of screenwriters until then because you're just so alone in the job. It was great sharing information, talking, getting to know people, being friends, realizing you're all struggling the same way. And back to word by word, what one of the things that has been really in, invaluable to me and inspiring is that 
all these writers I really admire are struggling with a lot of the same things I am. And a lot of the writers who are newer on the continuum of their careers, aspiring or first time or first few times, or just trying to break in pre-WGA, that would be you want to say, we all have the same issues, essentially. Some of us have more tools because of our own experience to deal with the problems and to be able to share those with people is really helpful because being able to articulate it a little sometimes actually, for me at least, helps me understand it a bit more. But hearing other people talk about their process and how different it is from mine can also be freeing because you then go, oh, I don't have to be so married to doing it this way. You know, I've developed habits over four decades that are really particular to me. And sometimes it's good to break out of that. Can you tell me a little bit about Full Circle? And I'm curious, when was the first time that you worked with Steven Soderbergh? Was that no sudden move or had you worked with him before that? Mosaic was our first time together. I got a call from Casey Silver, who produced Mosaic, No Sudden Move, and Full Circle, who was an old friend and an old colleague of mine, saying, could you meet for breakfast? But you need to sign an NDA. I was like, really? To have breakfast with you? We've had (laughs) 25 meals together over our life. I go to breakfast with Tim and another guy, and they're like, are you a fan of Steven Soderbergh? And I'm like, you're kidding, right? Yeah. Giant fan of Steven Soderbergh. Steven wants to experiment with this little 10-minute piece. He wants to do like a 10-minute branching narrative to just see if it's even viable. Would you be interested? And I was like, hell yeah. And I think, honestly, the only reason they came to me is the people that he normally works with probably were like, fuck no, not this, this seems like bullshit. I was like, this seems interesting. So we got together for a period of time, breaking this thing out trying different things, ways to tell a little 10-minute branching thing that he could shoot all in one day, which he did. He went, you know what? That kind of works. How about we try something longer, like a full-on thing? So I spent about another year and a half working really hard on the outline for Mosaic. That was the first thing we did end up doing. We wrote about three or 400 pages on spec before HBO picked it up and then finished it up and then Steven shot it, and that was a very, really high point for me creatively. And it was during the doing of that I got the idea for Full Circle, but also Steven and Casey came to me and said, hey, I have this idea. We want to do this kind of sh- kind of movie. We'd be up for writing it. And I was like, that sounds awesome. Let me give it a shot. So we did that next. And then Full Circle was the third thing that we did. I was writing. I've been writing Full Circle forever. Writing it, took a break, doing No Sudden Move, took a break, shot Bill and Ted, faced the music, took, but, he, but working on it over a course of almost seven years now. When you write something like Full Circle, are you just sitting down and writing the whole darn thing, or are you purposefully thinking this is going to be six parts? Full Circle started as a branching narrative show, so originally I wrote it character by character and individual storylines where one character's journey would overlap another character's journey. And sometimes you wouldn't even realize that other character was a main character in the overall piece. You'd think they were just a passing, almost an extra in one character's life, but in fact has a giant role in this other person's and they were all interwoven. Originally it was, and that ended up being a 586 page spec script, which I knew while writing it, this time, unlike Mosaic, which we wrote as, or I wrote as branching, and then 
we shot as a branching and released as an app that was branching, but also took the footage and turned it into a linear show. This one, I said, I know this is going to be both. So let me write a branching version, an entirely different linear version. But what we ended up doing was taking from the branching, reorganizing it in the way that we wanted it as a linear show, and then deciding that the branching shouldn't be so long, but rather should be two hours and very different. Like not even the same kind of footage, just we'll shoot a linear show that's six hours long. And then every day when we're on a certain set, we'll finish with one, change cameras, change equipment, use the same actors, same set, but shoot a very subjective version of the same thing. And then about, I don't know, maybe five, four or five months before we started shooting, Stephen comes to me, he's taking me up lunch and I'm like, yeah, sure. He's like, so... I don't think I can do that. <laughs> you just don't think physically we can handle it. And I was thinking, thank God. I was actually thinking to myself, I don't know how we're going to do this. I guess Stephen thinks we can. And if he does, I guess we can. But I don't know how I can take care of a full, really complicated six-hour weird mystery. And on top of that, an even more complicated branching show but he got to me first on that and i was really relieved it's kind of like when i remember years ago back in college was dating someone and we i was like i don't think this relationship is working i wish we could break up but i don't want to be the guy that breaks it up and she's hey can we have a walk and we go for a walk and she's like i think we should break up i'm like oh my god thank god she's we said this is the best breakup ever we were like both so freaking relieved it was hilarious anyway that's what it felt like on getting rid of the branching, although we worked very hard on the branching, but it wouldn't have made it work. I always appreciate how Steven Soderbergh seems to be up for anything. Just, yeah, sure. Let's do a TV show. Oh, let's shoot this all on an iPhone. It just feels like he's always embracing the new, embracing the challenges. Absolutely. I think the upsides of that are so phenomenal. And in terms of always staying fresh and always pushing himself, always experimenting, always doing things that are exciting to him. He has a philosophy that I think is one I could really learn from. If it's not a hell yeah, he doesn't want to do it. He has a lot of hell yeahs, as you might know. The downside is he can pry himself. He works really hard, but I've never met anyone who can do as many things as he can do and then compartmentalize them and really focus on them. So it's a really remarkable skill set. I've learned a ton and I've worked with him about 10 years now and I've grown a tremendous amount as a person, as a writer, working with them. It's been really valuable and very meaningful to me. I can't get over the level of talent, well, in any of his things, but especially in this one, just the cast is remarkable. When you have a cast like we had or have or whatever you say in full circle, first of all, you learn a lot as a writer. You get a great actor. Two things happen. The first is they make it sound better. And partly because they say the words that are written better than you imagine it, but also they don't say the words you always wrote. They'll often filter it through something. That's where you learn. Because these great actors, all of them, and I think the folks on Full Circle were great. The new actors were great. The seasoned pros were pros in the right sense of the word. Everyone. But they'll be tough on the material. Even the ones who are incredibly easygoing, like Tim. Oliphant, great guy, super nice guy. Claire, honestly, they also were super nice. 
really liked these people we worked with on this show. Really liked. It was one of the hardest experiences of my life. Some of the most incredible people and the crew was amazing. It was really nice, good people working very hard. Anyway, one of the things that they do is they challenge you. Why is this here? Something feels right, unright. It doesn't feel right to me. Something feels weird here. Why am I doing this? It feels like I'd be over there. It feels like I'd be angry at him more than her. And you hear that and you're like, that's right. Because they take it down to a truer place. They take it down to a more basic place. What am I doing here? What do I want? What's the logic? They have to believe in the logic of what's happening. They have to believe in the emotional logic of what's happening. And as a writer, you can often get way lost in your head and think, this must happen because I want it to happen. And and these words will support the thing I want them to say. And I will put them in the scene because I want them in the scene. And you forget that is only a tiny bit of it. The real deal is you're writing for human beings to come aboard and internalize and externalize these human beings that you created and that they are now the living manifestation of and that ship sails and they are out at sea with the character and they are doing what they're either going with a guidepost you gave them or they're that your guidepost doesn't work by the way this metaphor is not working as well as i'd hoped but it's like it's their character and you then become the the shepherd, but really the person trying to help them become the best version of that character they can be. But when an actor is a real pro, really good, and I've had this a lot with people, you learn about more truthful, better ways, more interesting ways to tell the story, more honest and direct ways, more brief ways. Most good actors don't want more words. The stereotype is they just want more words. Most not good actors want more words. Most good actors want less words. Most good actors want to do it in the cleanest and simplest way possible. Not the most ornate. It's a stereotype that's not true. And I tend to overwrite as I tend to overspeak like I'm doing now. So often what I do is I overwrite and pair back and then good actors reduce further. Good director reduces Stephen Watt and cut what I think is a masterful three and a half pages into a minimal one and three quarter pages. And he'll go, you said this here twice. We didn't need this. And I'll be like, yeah, damn it. He's right. So do you think a better writer is the person that can get to that base level that you're talking about? Or should you always leave that room for the actors? It's a good question. I think everyone's process is of course different and everyone's, result is different and how they get to the result is different. For me, I don't know if it's better writers, but for me, my result has been better when I've managed the relationship between what I wanted it to be and what it is becoming. When I've managed that relationship well, meaning here's what I thought it would be and why I thought it would be that. And here's what it is becoming with these other people involved in it. What is the value of what I thought it would be if it's veering away from that? And how important is that? Where is it heading? Is it heading in a new direction? If it's heading in a slightly new direction, what does that mean for the old direction? And what does that mean in terms of what's already written? And is this new direction better or just different? And if it's better, what is 
what do I need to do to change it? If it's just different, but equivalent, you have an actor who believes in a version, it's only going to be better. Forcing them back into what you thought it was going to be will be worse. So by default, they win on that. If it's not as good for whatever reason, that becomes a conversation. And when I was a newer writer, I would dance around that conversation, like not trying to offend anyone. The more comfortable I got with it, the more I could just say, problem with that is this. And they go, yeah, but... But then, Bob, I'm doing this, which feels like bullshit. Then I'll go, okay, yeah, okay, I hear that. That feels like bullshit. Here's what I need. Here's what I'm trying to get from it. I feel like you need to lose your shit at him here. And she goes, I feel like I've already lost my shit. I'm just making the story. This didn't happen. I feel like I've already lost my shit. I lost it in two scenes ago, and now I feel like it's about resolution. And then if I'm being honest, I'll go, I need you to lose your shit because we have that scene where your kid overhears you yelling and I want to be on the kid overhearing you yelling. If I say it just like that and I'm an actor and then I'm the actor hearing that, I would be like, fuck you. That's the writer going, yeah, you're a, you're abandoning truth for this idea you had in your head. But the way I would say it, if it was, let's say Claire or Tim or, is I see or any anybody, you know, I'm imagining having this conversation with Claire. I never had that exact conversation, but she is, I love her, man, as a person. I love her as an actor. She is the, like the pro in all the best ways. Shows up, does it, crushes it, questions it when she doesn't believe in it, but gives it, brings it, really brings it. If I were having that question with Claire, knowing her professionally as I do and the relationship we've been developing over the course of it, I'd say, you know what I did, Claire? I, again, it could be anyone. I'm just making it up as Claire. I did that writer thing where I needed to have the kid overhear it. And so I forced you into a position. I'm like, and look, that's a thing we all do. Like we, and if you can say it like that, I go, give me a moment because let me see what I can do here. So that, cause then she might go, what if I'm just, again, making that she might go, okay. She might either go, what's your problem? figure it out, which Claire wouldn't do. Most actors would then go, got it. I see what you mean. Or a better argument is actually like a better way for me to put this would be if I would say the problem is we have a scene, which we've already shot, which is the kid overhearing it. We already shot that and we can't repurpose it. And we need it because it carries into another scene that we can't cut. Let's just say that in that version, the actor goes, Got it. Okay. You know, it would make me mad. What would make me mad is if he called back and wanted to reiterate the argument. And I said, I yelled at him, we've had this argument. And be like, that feels right and truthful. Great. Even better. It's more real. It adds to, and then it, let's say he's a guy that keeps calling back. I love that trait. So what if we, he's a guy, you can't let it go. And the next scene, let's have him do it again. That's a good version of a collaboration where that brings it to life. She understands the production need or cinematic need to have this kid hear the noise, let's say. If I actually said oh, I wrote it in a way that I liked him hearing the noise, but we haven't shot that, I'd go, let me figure out a better way to make this work. That'd be on me for that reason. So, Although they may go, how about if this happens? But most likely, we'd both know this is my problem that I created. A good actor also sometimes just wants to know, where do you need me to say the line? Weirdly enough, if you're well into production and you've edited a bunch of stuff and they know the gig, they've been 
they're not going to go, I wouldn't go there because I don't feel it. They'd go, all right, you need me to get there. Let's figure out a way together that I can do that truthfully. <laughs> yeah. What I would say to a new writer is to the best of your ability, because I, as a writer who's been doing this a while, I have the benefit of having actors do my stuff and you learn so much from it. I'd say to a new writer, get it up on its feet and get people reading it, acting it, direct a few scenes, watch it, listen to it, act it yourself, try it. You'd be amazed what you learn and it's not always pleasant. You're working on the podcast. You're out picketing. Are you just fully pencils down on everything else? The podcast is the only thing I'm doing that's writing related. I'm out picketing when I'm in Manhattan. My girlfriend is in London. I've been in London a lot. So is my son. And I've also been upstate a lot where my other daughter and I are. But so when I'm in, able to be in the city, I'll go to the picket line. But other than that, I've just been recuperating from full circle. As anxious as everyone else about where's the work going to be as worried. Yeah. And right now it's just life maintenance and trying to recoup and trying to have some kind of summer without worrying too much about stuff. It's a good way to look for a silver lining. But the only silver lining I've been able to get from it, and believe me, I don't, these things aren't, you know, there's, it's not, thank you. Look at the bright side of the strike. There are a few things. You're on the picket line and you meet a lot of writers, and that's really interesting. And sometimes I think for people who tend to be workaholics, as I have tended to be, you know, being forced to not write is actually healthy. That said, I wouldn't, I think the onus is on me to learn how to figure out how to not write when I need a break, not shut down so that I can have a break. It seems like a very selfish way to look at it. Obviously, that's not something I would want. I can't remember if I've asked you this before, but why was the sequel to Now You See Me not called Now You Don't? Now You Don't? I tried so hard. I so agree with you. I'm like, it's the obvious sequel. And they're like, well, marketing says the title Now You See Me has better name recognition than Now You Really? It's the sequel to a movie called now you see me which is the first half of a statement now you see me now you don't it's about magic we can so easily make it about now you don't i'm so frustrated that they didn't do that it's so lame and it is always such a pleasure talking with you thank you so much oh man mike it's great to be on with you again and literally anytime you need just let me know mm-hmm.